our theme for this year is each one reach one. Going back, uh, hitting evangelism very big this year. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's what following Jesus is all about. Personal evangelism and then evangelizing your community. Growing yourself and your faith and then reaching out to others and telling them about Jesus because they need to know. And we spent the first uh, quarter of this year, or first third of this year actually, uh, really preaching about, uh, about getting out and telling other people about Christ and the Great Commission and how important it is that we as individuals not just buy into the Great Commission, because that's really what we need to do. Jesus has set down what it is that we need to do as individuals. It's there. The plan is there. The plan is workable. The plan is successful if you work the plan. But we need to buy into it and say, you know what? If I do things God's way, then we're going to be successful. I will be successful in my life as a Christian. Now we're going to move into another phase of looking at the Great Commission, each one reach one, uh, and how we as a church go beyond the individual while still reaching ourselves and reaching others individually and reach out to our community as a church and reach out to our church community to grow them, to grow each other, to be profitable. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 tells us one of my favorite parables, the parable of the sower. We're going to get into that. It's gonna be, we're going to be on this for a couple weeks uh, looking at the, what the sower, the parable of the sower is all about and uh, how that applies to us. But reaching our community with the gospel is a team effort. It involves each individual believer doing their part in living and sharing the message of Jesus every day. Our Bible study on Wednesday nights, we're going through Philippians. We're talking, Philippians talks a lot about unity in the church and how the church comes together and is unified in a purpose and supports each other and lifts each other up as individuals working together. We're not, uh, we're not individual free agents. We are a body of Christ, and each one of us has a purpose and plan that fits in. Paul talks about that a lot in 1 Corinthians, how we are members of the body, and each of us has a, a, a responsibility and a role to play and a part to fill. Uh, the more individuals that we have involved, the better. The more individuals involved, the more effective our ministry. The more individuals involved, the broader our reach. The challenge is getting everyone involved and keeping everyone involved. Why is this a challenge? Because, because of life and circumstances. Let's just be honest. When we break it all down to what really, uh, really matters and, and steers our life, we can have a plan. We can have... Uh, goals. We can have all these things set for ourselves, but our lives are going to be many times, if we're not careful, steered by the circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves. And we become, we, we become reactionary to our situations in life rather than um, allowing ourselves to live above them and just allow them to be part of our lives. Life happens to everyone, and everyone has to deal with life. Just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean that we're exempt from the trials and struggles that come with life, health, finances, relationships, etc. Anybody realize that? As a Christian, you're not exempt from the struggles and trials of life, right? Still have to deal with the ugly sometimes. In fact, being a follower of Jesus makes us even more of a target for attacks on our lives and well-being, frustration and stress and misunderstandings in our lives being blown into full-scale wars with people within the church. I know that doesn't happen to you, but you've heard of it happening to others, right? 
misunderstandings, things that we don't really, uh, we, we don't really have the full uh, knowledge of what's going on, but we allow it to blow itself up and, and it becomes a distraction and a, a stress in our lives. Satan loves nothing more than dividing and destroying believers and churches. Knowing this, we know the teaching of the word on the matter. It's important that our church know, understand, and fulfill our roles in the lives of people, especially our role in the Great Commission as a church, so that we are doing all that we can to help our people. When we say we can do all we can to help our people, what we're actually saying as well is so that we can do all we can to help ourselves and each other in our walk with faith. We are not ministers to others. Understand this. This is very difficult for some people to understand and accept as followers of Jesus. You're not just a minister to others. You are a person who needs to be ministered to by others. You understand that? Many times, and I'm, I'll just speak very bluntly, many times we feel like we are a vessel that just has to pour ourselves into other people. Yet we are never that vessel that allows other people to pour themselves into us. God didn't create you to refill yourself only. God made us a community. That's why he designed the church, the body of Christ, each member fulfilling its own purpose in a very special and unique way. We are here to help each other, not only to help, not only to to get what you need for your life and to, to give to others, but to take back from other people. I have some people in my life that are very important to help replenish and, and renew and fill me up because I, I listen, I don't have an endless resource of, of giving and serving. <clears throat> There are times when I get very tired, just like you. There are times where I would rather not go do something for the church, just like you. But there are people that I have in my life, I've learned over the course of time and over through the years of ministry, that I need to allow people to speak to me. Like that, uh, one of my favorite songs by Toby Mac is the song, Speak Life, right? Oh my goodness. What an amazing, so, and, and you watch the video of that, it's, it's amazing. We've shown it here a couple times. Allowing people to speak life back into you. And I know that sounds very, very modern, very new age, but it is very true. Allowing people to speak life back into you. It's encouragement, help, strength. Allowing you to grow back and, and get back to where you need to be. So what is the church's role in the Great Commission that's found in Matthew 28. Let's go ahead and read Matthew 28, 19, and 20 real quick. You can keep your finger in Matthew 13. We're going to get there eventually. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what the first quarter of this, the first probably third of this year was all about, teaching us how to make disciples, how to reach people with the gospel, how to tell people the, the, the part that nobody wants to hear. You're a sinner. You don't know, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal savior, you're on your way to hell. That's just the fact of the matter. Nobody likes to hear that. And let's be honest, not many Christians like to say that, right? Because it doesn't make you the popular person at the party, right? Let's, I mean, let's just be honest. It's a very difficult truth to share with people that everything you've been taught in your life from out there is not true. 
That the Bible says we're all, as human beings, sinners. We've all done things wrong. We laid this, my dad did a, an amazing job two weeks ago of laying that out in his message. Last week, we tried to share that same message through the Easter story. That we're all sinners, man. We've all done things that are wrong. It doesn't make you horrible. It doesn't make you the, the scum of the earth. It simply makes you human. And that sin has consequences. And that sin requires payment. But Jesus paid the price. That's the good news. That's what gospel means, good news. That's the good news, that Jesus paid the price for our sins. And we, by accepting him as our Savior, receiving the gift of eternal life, we can be saved. That's the beginning of the Great Commission. Go out and tell people. Tell them about Jesus. Reach them with the message. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to reach them, to draw them to Jesus. Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. I'll draw all people to myself. So that's the first part. Last week, we lived out the second part as a church, right? We baptized six people. Remember, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Baptism, there's no salvation in the baptismal waters. It is an outward expression of an inward possession. And what we're doing is telling people that we know Jesus, we're making it public. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. And we're make it, making it uh, public. And we're also taking that step of obedience and faith, saying we want to follow Jesus Christ. And then in the Nepali service, baptize six more. I'll tell you what, the water didn't warm up any between services last week. It was cold. It was still very, very cold. My feet went numb a second time last Sunday. It's amazing. So we've lived out that second part. Now we come to the third part. And it's all, it's all together here in, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Teaching them. That's where the church comes in. That's our big role. That's our big role. As a church, we are commanded to teach and train and raise up the people that we have the privilege of leading to Jesus Christ or people that come into our area, people that join our congregation, people that come together, or even people that are out there that need Jesus. It's our, it's our role and responsibility as a church to have a plan in place to teach people about our faith and to help them make our faith, their faith. Got something. What is the church's role? The first one is this, to make disciples. And you look in, if we go to the next slide, if you look in the parentheses, it says to make disciples, followers with a purpose. A disciple of Jesus is simply a follower with a purpose of as many believers as we can. That's our job as a church. That's our main focus after winning them to Christ is to get them in and train and teach them. That means that we as individual members of the church are, are supposed to be connected in a way that we are helping ourselves to grow as well as others. That's the third phase of fulfilling the Great Commission. To equip and train believers of all levels of spiritual life and growth to live out their faith effectively. Our role as a church is to equip and train. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why, uh, that's why our, our children are so excited 
to see our children's ministry flourishing and to hear our kids. Listen, I, I hear, my wife and I hear it from our boys every week about the, 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 uh, the, the Sunday school, the, the children's church that they, they, they learn in. And that is the reason why we don't have one mass group of children being taught. First of all, it's chaos, right? But secondly, children learn at different levels, right? You don't teach a four-year-old the same way you would teach a 10-year-old. And you don't teach an eight-year-old the same way you teach a 15-year-old. In fact, teaching a 15-year-old is pretty much impossible. Until <laughs> they become 25, had kids of their own, have a mortgage, car payments, and then they realize, geez, mom and dad really did have a brain. Right? Seriously. But we are to equip and train believers of all levels of spiritual life. Listen, let me, let me let you in on a secret here. Even as adults, when it comes to our faith and our spiritual walk as Christians, we are all on different levels. Well, there are different, let me say this, there are different levels of our growth as Christians. Not everybody is on the same level spiritually. So if we're going to train and evangelize people effectively, we've got to have a plan in place to reach people at different levels of faith and different levels of spiritual maturity. The next one is to provide, explain, and even manufacture. This is where we lose a lot of people. This is where I lose a lot of people, right? To provide, explain, and even manufacture opportunities for members to connect with those outside of faith. What do you mean manufacture? You need to let the Holy Spirit lead. Okay. I'll tell you what. Yesterday, you know what we did? We manufactured an opportunity to reach people in our community. We manufactured an opportunity. We made something up so that we could have people from all over the place come in to, to, to get to know us. Did we preach a message? No. No, if they, in fact, if we'd have done that, they probably wouldn't have come. That's just, that's just the fact. Well, you, you didn't get the gospel message out? Yeah, we did. Because you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. You're the only words of life some people will ever read. And I'm telling you, the bridge events that we do as a church are effective in reaching our community with our people. Because our people, the people of New Life Church, are the key to reaching the people of the East Longmeadow, Longmeadow, Wilbraham, Springfield, Agawam, Metro area, Enfield, wherever you're from, West Springfield, Chicopee. You are the key. So it's our responsibility as a church to even manufacture opportunities. Hey, you want to jump on board with uh, the, 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 Aaron announced the, um, the tag sale, right? You know that there are opportunities to reach and talk to people in the community and tell them about our church. People ask me, people that live on the same street, did you know, check this out, my boys are playing, our, our boys, as Aaron and I are a team, uh, <laughs> Our sons are playing Little League Baseball in Longmeadow this year. I know, don't stone me, those of you from East Longmeadow. They're not the enemy. They're people just like us. I know that we're not allowed to cross the Longmeadow line after dark. But just, just kidding. Uh, but our, our boys are playing baseball in the Longmeadow Little League. You know who else is on the team? A boy whose grandmother and whose mother lived right up the street. Now his grandmother lives right over uh, in the neighborhood across the way. They've known of our church for 
probably the 40 plus years that the church has been here, but they've never met the pastor. We've had a great time coming, and one thing that the grandmother and I have in common is, first of all, we're both over 50. Um, secondly, <laughs> secondly, um, um, we're both living in East Long Meadow. So we're kind of the rebels of the group, right? And it, it, uh, it gives us some commonality. So we've got three East Long Meadowites that are, uh, that are dealing with the, the, uh, the whole Long Meadow, East Long Meadow warfare thing. Man, God just, God can manufacture, but we also have a responsibility to take every opportunity that God brings our way. Then the fourth thing is this, to support our members in all phases and times of life, victory as well as crisis. We tend to celebrate victories and ignore crises sometimes. And we want to we put that aside. Did you know that God can turn your tragedy into a victory? He can turn the tragedy that you endure in life into, into a testimony that can help someone else that is dealing with a tragedy very similar to what you are going through or what you've gone through. I know personally in my life, I try to live my life very transparently. Uh, gets me in trouble a lot of times. I'll be real honest, not, not being funny. I'm just being honest. Being transparent, get, it opens you up to people asking questions and saying things and, and putting you on the spot and using what you have said as ammunition against you, sadly to say. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because the things that I've been through in my life, God has allowed me to use to help other people endure what they're going through in their lives as well. God wants to take the experiences that you have gone through and use them, first of all, to make you stronger and then to use you as a teacher, as a discipler, okay? For those who are going through those situations, those who are going through those times. That's why it's so vitally important that those of us who have walked with Christ for years get involved in this part of our ministry because we are all at different levels and we all can connect with someone and everybody needs to be connected to someone. Now this brings us to the parable of the sower because this parable, I believe, speaks to the third part of the Great Commission, teaching them. Not effectively teaching our faith to new believers and our children simply ensures that our church and our faith will grow weak and effective and even die out. Let me say that again. Not effectively teaching our faith to new believers and our children simply ensures that our church and our faith will grow weak and ineffective and even die out. When I was a youth pastor back in the late 90s, the statistics for young people who graduated from high school and went to college and left the church or evangelical churches like ours was unbelievable. The statistics were over 70% of all kids who grew up in church and graduated from high school left the church here in America. And the projection was that the next generation of teenagers going through the process would bring it down to this astounding statistic. They projected that only 4% 
of all teenagers that graduated from high school, that had been in church and grown up and raised in church and involved in good, solid youth groups, would stay in the church. In other words, we would lose 96%. Many of you who are in your 20s and 30s and grew up in church have friends. How many of you are, who are in that age bracket, the 20 to 30s, and we'll go up to 40, okay, because you're still young, okay? How many of you have friends that you grew up in youth group with that are out of church and have no desire whatsoever to even think about a church right now? Absolutely. We all do. Listen, man, I've, I graduated from a Christian high school. with 20, There were 21 of us, and I, I dare say there's less than five that are in church right now, actively, actively in church. It's amazing. That's not saying that the world is winning. That's saying that the church is losing. And we're losing because, get ready for this, we're losing because we choose to lose. Did you get that? We're losing the battle for keeping people in church because we are choosing to lose. Oh, that's a harsh indictment, Pastor John. It's true. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest. The Bible says we're more than conquerors. The Bible says we're victors. The Bible says we can overcome. Jesus says, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yet we're losing people left and right from the church. Churches are closing in this country every day. Why? Because we are failing to hold up our end of the bargain, the third part of the Great Commission, teaching our people. The average church will grow to a number in America, will grow to between two and 300 people. We, are, we have just crested into that area. We've got over 200 people that call New Life their, their church, okay? But the average church will grow to between two and 300 and, and stay. And they'll stay there for a generation or so. Why? Because at that level, the church gets to be financially stable, got enough money to pay the bills, have a couple staff members. You got people, ex, people um, involved in the church. You got things going on in the church. You've got ministries going. You got a great children's ministry, youth ministry, all the bells and whistles that a church is supposed to have in America today, right? And you know what happens? We become a maintenance ministry. We simply maintain the status quo. We lose our passion for reaching people. What we do is forget what the Great Commission is all about. It's a cycle. We'll get to that in just a minute. Now, Matthew chapter 13, we find the story of the sower. Let's go ahead and start reading that verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower. Now, a sower, I think everybody knows, I'll just explain it because it's not a word we really use in our, in our uh, vocabulary today. A sower is just a, a scatterer of seeds or a farmer. The way they used to do it back in the day, back in these days, was just go out and, and throw the seeds into a field. Just throw them out randomly. Just throw them out. Nowadays, you've got tillers and rows and planters and all that kind of stuff. Back then, they used to just throw them out. So it's, it's a planter or a farmer, okay? Sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. 
Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seeds fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Then let's jump down to verse 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. This is the explanation of that parable. When anyone hears the word of, about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one along the, sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. As we go along in this message, we're going to be talking about the different soils and what they represent and where, uh, where those people are spiritually and how we can reach them. We're going to look at who they are, what is their issue, and how can we reach them. Because those four soils, all four soils are represented in just about every church in America. I, I am of the opinion that three of those four are believers. Three of those four kind of soils are believers. I, don't, I believe that the very first one, uh, the, the wayside soil, I don't believe that those people really accept Christ. I believe they hear and that witness is taken away. Doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're beyond reach. It just means that at this time, uh, they haven't accepted Christ. We'll get into that. Now, all of this is laying a foundation for where we're going to go with this. There are three ways that a church grows. Three, at least three different ways that a church collects people, okay, reaches, brings people in. There's organic growth. Organic growth is each one reach one, us sharing our faith and, and reaching out and reaching new people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's new believers. That's organic growth, sharing our faith. That is, that is the, the heartbeat, right? That's the heartbeat of a church, reaching new people, reaching unbelievers, sharing with them the love of Jesus Christ, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, however you want to say it. That is, that is organic growth, reaching new people with the gospel and winning them to Jesus Christ. The second kind is transfer growth. Believers who move or join or are led to a church. I believe that this is uh, an important part of especially new churches, small churches, struggling churches, because sometimes churches grow to a point where people in that church are ministry locked or ministry blocked. And what they're called to do, they're not able to do in that church because someone else is already doing that. And I believe sometimes what God does is like a bird, a mother bird with her chicks. Once it's time for them to fly, she kicks them out of the nest and says, go and start your own way. And I believe sometimes that what God does with people in a church is say, first of all, people who move to a new town, obviously they're not going to be able to commute to Minnesota or to Louisiana or wherever, the, Kentucky or wherever. You, it's a long way to go on a Sunday morning, right? So transfer growth. But other times, people from other churches 
go to help. And one, at some point in our life as a church, as God continues to bless and new life continues to grow, we're going to be a church that hopefully, by the grace of God, plants other churches and sends teams from our church to help. That's called transfer growth. Planting other churches with a team so that they don't have to start from scratch. Okay? And then there's generational growth. And we're experiencing that big time <laughs> in this church, right? Last year, five babies born. This year, I think we've got at least six babies on the way. There might be some I don't know about. So that's 11 new, new lifers in less than two years. Yeah, we, uh, uh, not here. Okay? So there's three different, three different ways, okay? Organic growth, is, which is what our heartbeat should be. Okay? It's what our heart should, heart, heartbeat should be. Organic growth. Sharing the gospel with people. Reaching them with the love of Jesus Christ. And bringing them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then there's transfer growth. We even have people from Brazil who are helping our church. That's transfer growth, right? That's trans that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's different from church hopping now. Help me under I want you to understand that. That's different from hopping from church to church. I expect transfer people to come in and jump right in, right? Get right in, get right involved, jump right in. Man, we got, we got things to do here. There's a new life. We are, we are a progressive church that wants to progress and wants to open up opportunities and make and manufacture opportunities for you to get involved, to do things. We have a, we, you know, we have a social media team at our church. We have a family that moved here for social media. They came here to this area because of social media. We have a social media, yeah, Ben, our drummer, runs the social media at for Smith & Wesson. We're protected. <laughs> uh, okay? All right? Yeah. But we have a social media team at our church. We have a presence. Man, that's important in today's day and age. If you don't understand the importance of, being, of having a social media presence, not getting involved in the drama, but having a social media presence, then you're not really staying up with what's going on in reaching these people. I'm, that's just being honest about it. Okay? By the way, our podcast, is Jonathan in here? Our podcast has been downloaded. Do you realize that this ministry, the sermons that are preached, have reached Greece? We have someone pray for, pray for somebody in Iran, the nation of Iran, that is listening to our podcast. That's, that's not like listening to it in Longmeadow. It's Iran where you could probably get killed for it. Okay? Around the world. Those kind of things. We, that is, that is one of the greatest presences that we can have reaching today's society. Our, the reason the Facebook, along with all the preparation, was the advertisement. The video, one of the videos was seen by over 2,000 people. For, for Trunk or Treat, we had 2,500 people come to Trunk or Treat, had over 35,000 views of our video, right, Mary? Amazing. So see, there are opportunities that we will take advantage of and manufacture to get you plugged in and get you using the gifts that God has given you. You, do you realize some of you have gifts that I don't even know, I can't even comprehend, and I have no idea what to do, but you do, and God does, and if you bring it to me, we can get something going that I would not, I, my gosh, I'm one of the least talented men I know, but I know a lot of people who have a lot of gifts, 
And that's the secret of making a church successful. Plugging people in to where they can serve and work and get involved and reach people. All three of these kinds of growth can be effective in building a strong and thriving church. As long as that church has the system in place to teach, train, and develop the members of their body in knowing, living, and sharing their faith. This system is called discipleship. This system is called discipleship. Discipleship is the lost art of the modern day church. It truly is. It's the law. We want to entertain. We have gone from being disciple makers to the entertainment industry in a church. We want, we take polls, we make brands, we do all this stuff because we need to entertain because if they're not entertained, they're not coming back, right? It's like, I I feel, sometimes I go, I've gone to churches before where I feel like that ride at Disney World, uh, small world, it's a small world after all, where you sit there and it just moves you from place to place. It's like that, the the movie WALL-E. If you have little kids, you've seen the movie WALL-E. I'm like an expert on on, uh, cartoon movies now. All right, okay. Wally, where, where they just go from their chair everywhere. And that's what church is becoming in a lot of places. Man, that's not what we want to do. We, yes, we want to stay progressive in our mentality so we reach people where they're at, but it's still the gospel that saves people. It's not donuts and coffee. It's not snazzy worship. Worship prepares for the message. Worship draws us to the cross, but it's the cross and the work done there that saves us. Quickly, we're gonna, we'll, we'll close with these facts about discipleship in a church. Some facts about a discipleship in a church. Not everyone will make themselves a disciple, but everyone needs to be discipled. Not everyone will make themselves a disciple. Remember, just because you've accepted Christ as your Savior, huge distinction here. Just because you know Jesus Christ as your Savior doesn't mean you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay? Go back to what our definition of a disciple was. A disciple is a believer with a purpose. A disciple is a believer with a purpose. You can be saved and satisfied, as we used to say. Right? You've accepted Jesus Christ, and that's it. You're good to go. You've got eternity guaranteed, and you don't care. You'll just go through the motions. Well, you are saved, but that's it. So not everyone will make themselves a disciple, but everyone needs to be discipled. A huge problem. Listen, if you dis- let, me just, let me just be bold here, okay? If you disagree with that statement, you've got a personal issue. I'll just be honest. You have placed yourself in the category of being unteachable. I'll take it a step further. If you think that you can only learn from the pastor, then you have placed yourself in a situation where you are unteachable. There are people in this congregation that can teach. I I learn from people. Don't, Don't put me up here. Because I learn from people in this congregation all the time. Erin is going through college classes right now, getting her degree in Christian ministry. And as we talk, man, I learn new things all the time. We can learn from each other. Each one of us can learn from each other. When you put limitations and build fences around your ability to be discipled or to learn, you have made yourself unteachable. Understand that. 
So everybody needs to be discipled, but not everybody will make themselves a disciple. Second thing is no one ever reaches the end of a true discipleship process. Consistent lifelong growth is the model God challenges us to follow. You never reach the end of it. That's the beauty of the walk with Jesus Christ. You never in this, in this life as a human being reach the end of your discipleship. You will constantly be learning, constantly be growing. Part of that is that society changes and people change. And you have to be able to look at the word of God and see how it now applies to this way and to that. How do we use the word of God in social media? How do we, how do we become a, a God-honoring presence in this new society? How do we keep our testimony? How do we keep our, our belief system intact and not get involved in all that's going on? I'm not sure if you know this or not, but not everything on the internet is true. I'm just throwing it out there for general knowledge. We need to be able to see, I mean, that's a way that now we have to look at the scriptures and say, well, how does this apply to my social media life? How does this apply? Do, are there limits to what I should say and do and limits to what I should get involved in? And, and yeah, I talk with Melvin a lot and Melvin's like, he, he says, I don't understand it, what, what people put out there. And Melvin is a city councilor in Springfield. Melvin has a, a, a social media presence. He, he pretty much has to in his role in the city. But like, I, I don't understand how people are living, are putting that out there. So that's a way that, that times change and, we, and the gospel doesn't change, but it adapts to new situations. It not adapts, it applies to every new situation. A church's health, this is important, a church's health is not found in its financial bottom line or its attendance numbers. Here we talk about numbers here, we do. We, we've broken 100 for the third straight week, okay? We had an all-time attendance high last Sunday of 157. It's the biggest, uh, biggest attendance we've ever had here. So, and, and we're breaking 100 a lot lately, and we're growing, and, and it's exciting, and we keep those in front of you, not, not to brag about what we're doing here, but so that you understand we are making progress. We are growing. Those new faces you see do add, and we do grow. But... The financial bottom line or the attendance numbers are not the sign of a church's health. A church's health is found in the depth of its members and their active spiritual growth. That's where a church's health is found. A church's health is not found in its pulpit. A church's health is found in its congregation. The spiritual well-being, the spiritual growth, and the active spiritual growth of its congregation. Next, an effective discipleship program is easily accessed, easily followed, and readily available. We're in the process right now of uh, revamping and, re and, and changing our discipleship program. Right now we have about an 18-week long course, and it's a very huge commitment to make. So we're going to break our discipleship program down. We're going to have different levels. We're going to have like four-week commitments where you could do four weeks, and, and it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be uh, I think, a much more accessible, much easier to commit to. Not that, there are those who say, well, if you can't commit to 18 weeks, then you shouldn't be involved. That's just silly. Okay, it's just silly. You know what is, 18 weeks is a long time, and a lot of things come up. 
So if you can do it in four-week chunks, I think it makes it much easier. And it gives you an opportunity to learn those things after four weeks and then apply them and start growing in them rather than having this onslaught of 18 weeks of, of basic theology and things. Okay? Uh, it's user-friendly. We want people to want to be a part of it. A good discipleship program in a church is, is user-friendly. Listen, I want you to want to be a part of it. That's why we're looking at, at making some changes. And an effective discipleship program is a circle of life. New believers are birthed in the faith. They're grown in maturity and then reach, reach others who are birthed into faith and grow. And the cycle never ends. The cycle of life never ends in a good Bible-believing church with a solid, strong discipleship program. If you wonder why churches reach a point of, of, in their life where they die and they go down, the, it's because they aren't discipling people properly. They don't have, they're not properly impl implementing the Great Commission. They're not reaching new people and they're not constantly and consistently discipling people. An effective discipleship program reaches all believers where they are and on their level of understanding. That's why I believe the parable of the sower is a parable about discipleship, spiritual growth, and individual effectiveness. And that's what we're going to get into next week. We're going to talk more about the different levels of where we are and how we learn and what stops us and how we can reach those in our church who may be stuck where they are spiritually. Does that make sense? You've hit that roadblock in your life and you just can't seem to get past where you're at. And what was working for you before, you're struggling with. And you need to find some way to, to sometimes, okay, and we're going to wrap it up here. Sometimes we wear ourselves out. See if this makes sense. Sometimes we wear ourselves out beating our head up against a wall when all we need to do is take the path that goes around the wall. Right? You're like, boom, boom, and, and you're worn out, but, yo, listen, the sign here said, this way out. Right? Jesus said, I'll provide a way of escape, man. I'll provide you with a way of escape. All you have to do is look for it. And we just beat ourselves to death by trying to beat that wall down, and it's never going to fall on your own. You just need to go around it. Be smarter than the wall. It's like being smarter than the mayonnaise jar. Right? Got to be smarter than the mayonnaise jar. I know that doesn't make any sense, but it's okay. It's okay. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the next, uh, next several months we're going to be looking at um, how we as individuals are responsible for our own discipleship and how our, as a church we're responsible to disciple ourselves and each other and, and, uh, and see where that takes us. As a church, it's an exciting time to be a Christian. I'm, man, I'll tell you what, it's an exciting time to be a new lifer. It truly is. I can't wait to see what God is going to do in our church and in your lives and in my life because this is just too much fun right now. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house. God, I believe that we have met with you here today. Lord, I believe that you have heard our praise and accepted our sacrifice and offering of worship, and you met with us today. I believe you inhabited our praise and met with us. God, I've, feel, I've felt the, whole, the, the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe that you're doing something very special and powerful here at New Life. I believe that the lives that are represented here today and those who are watching us on Facebook are testament to that. God, I believe you want to do more. 
And I believe that you can do more and I believe that you will do more. So God, I commit to you as the pastor of this church that if you lead, I'll follow. And I pray that as a church, we will come together and follow you and do what we need to do as individuals to grow and to become part of the thriving body of Christ that is New Life Church. Would you bless us as we go from this place? God, bless us this week. Bless us as we have opportunities. Open our mouths and open our hearts, God. May we approach those in our lives with open hearts of love for you and for them. Continue to build your kingdom through us and through this church. Dismiss us as we go. In your name we pray.
next Sunday, um, 